Welcome to House Highlights, a weekly Facebook livecast and podcast focused on Maryland politics. I'm Eric Lutke, a majority leader in the Maryland House of Delegates, and each week I interview one of my fantastic colleagues to help you learn a little bit more about them and the work they're doing in Annapolis and beyond. You can tune in live each Tuesday at 6 p.m. on my Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash Eric for Maryland. And if you want to listen to previous interviews, you can find them either on that same Facebook page or now we're on Spotify, which is kind of uh, disturbing. I, I, I didn't think this would reach the point where we'd be doing a podcast on Spotify, but it's exciting. Yay. Yay. <laughs> this week, we, uh, we have with us uh, one of my favorite colleagues, Delegate Jocelyn Pena Melnick who is a, a woman of many titles and many hats. She is vice chair of the Health and Government Operations Committee. Um, she's former chair and now vice chair of the Maryland Legislative Latino Caucus. Um, and if I can say so, is first of all, one of the most passionate advocates in the House, but also one of the most delightfully positive members of the House. Jocelyn, like every time I see you, it brightens my day. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Thank you, that's really beautiful. Thank you, and the feeling is mutual. You have a beautiful soul. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. <laughs> so uh, we start out all of these interviews just with a, a you know a little bit of a softball introduction. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Where'd you grow up? What do you do outside of uh, legislative work? How'd you become a legislator? I actually was born in Dominican Republic. So I am an island girl. Um, and I came to this country um, a few months before I turned eight and I lived in New York City. And if anyone is listening and is from New York and I grew up in Washington Heights, which is Dominican land, that is literally where we landed. Um, and I actually went to school uh, in New York City. I went to uh, school I, also in the Dominican Republic. I was going back and forth. I came back the last time when I was 14 um, and then uh, went to finish junior high school and high school uh, in the Bronx. I went to high school in the Bronx, John F. Kennedy High School, um, and then went to college in New York as well, in Buffalo, New York. Um, I never thought, um, Eric, that I would run for office, okay? My mom didn't even study to the third grade of elementary school. And she was a single mom with my sister and I in New York. And I never had a role model that was in politics that I could say, that's what I wanna be. Like, there's a saying that says, you can't be what you can't see, right? I just never mm -hmm. imagined it. Um, but then as life went on and I became a lawyer, I was a public defender for a little while, then a prosecutor. And then I stayed home with my kids and started to get involved in the community. I realized that I wanted to be the voice for the community, right? That I that there was a void um, in my district. The district had never had anyone of color represented and it was changing. And I just thought that I could help and be an asset in a very humble way. And that's why I, I ran for office. That's that's fantastic. You know, I, I teach in your district. I teach at the University of Maryland and um, I teach a, a lot of students, particularly students of, of color, who I think have that same experience of a lot of times in the past not having been able to see people like them in public office. And one of my favorite moments as a, as a teacher was when I had another one of our colleagues, Janelle Wilkins, uh, come and talk to one of my classes. I love her. You know, we were debriefing with the students and one of my students said, you know what, I never thought I could run for office, but seeing somebody in the classroom who is not only a, a black legislator and a, a, a legislator of West Indian descent, 
But what the student particularly pointed out was a legislator who wore her hair natural, you know, who had natural hair. Right. That was such an eye opener for her. It's so, it's so great, I think, that we're starting to see more representation like that, you know? It, it's important. And I tell my girls, you know, I have a set of twin girls that are juniors in college and I have a boy who's a senior in college. And I tell them all the time that, you know, it's important to know where you come from. Like right. we love America. I'm American. I'm a, you know, Afro-Latina. Um, but, you know, my culture is also from the Dominican Republic. Right. And, and it's important for me to remember where I come from mm -hmm. um, because then you can sort of have perspective on, you know, on life and what really matters, right? We come to this country regardless of what the man in the White House says um, mm -hmm. because we want a better life and we want to help our families back home and we want to make a life here as well and contribute. Right. Um, and that was why my mom came here. Um, right. and, and I'm, yes, she was my biggest role model. Oh, that's fantastic. That's Can I ask, I didn't know you had the Washington Heights connection. How many times have you seen In the Heights? I've seen it plenty. <laughs> it's a great show. It really yes. is. Yeah. So, so you're now vice chair of the Health and Government Operations Committee, which, uh, you know, has a really big portfolio and one that, frankly, the rest of us in the legislature who are not healthcare experts, uh, are a little intimidated by because a lot of the issues you deal with are, are so common. But what's it what's it like being vice chair of that committee? How's that work? Well, you know, I have been blessed with having an amazing chair, right? So Chair Shane Pendergrass allows me to be me and allows me to bring ideas to her and openly and no judgment, right? So we're mm -hmm. a real true team. Like she allows me to sit through all the meetings that she holds so that I can listen and I can learn. So as her vice chair, I make it a point to, you know, not walk in front of her, mm -hmm. give her the respect she needs, because she's the chair and I love and respect her unconditionally, but I support her when she sets the agenda for the committee. I help, you know, thoroughly examine and review the bills. I try to mentor the newer people on the committee Sort of given, like I bring them to the office. I, I welcome it if they want to, or sort of a 101 on the do's and don'ts, and, right. and, and to make sure that they know that Shane and I are there for her because she does the same. Um, I help preside over the hearings as well. You know, uh, the witnesses respond to the committee's needs um, and make sure that we're prepared when we hit the floor, that our bills are tight, that we're ready to defend them because it's a reflection not only of the committee, but the chair and also the house and leadership as well. So right. I, I love it. It's, it's a great committee. I have been there since I first got elected and I absolutely love it. It's, I, you know, it's, I've never met anyone who served on HGO who hasn't said they loved it. Like as long as it's been 10 years now, I've been in the legislature. Everyone I know who served on HGO has loved it. It is, it's because the people are great. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's, it's, it's a committee that you feel respected and that you can contribute that just because you're new doesn't mean you have to stay quiet. If you right. have to add, they're not going to make you feel, you know, like you don't know anything. You get respect mm -hmm. and, and we work with you. And I think that comes from the top, right? Mm -hmm. um, from leadership. And it makes a difference. That's it really great. does. I don't see myself anywhere else. <laughs> I love it. Well, 
That's great because you're doing a good job there. So one of the uh, recent uh, headlines that we saw in Maryland was this announcement that I guess for the third year in a row, uh, the the rates of uh, health insurance under the individual market for the ACA have gone down for Marylanders, which, you know, kind of feels like magic. I don't, uh, you know, given the, the many, many years we've had of increases in healthcare costs, the fact that health insurance rates are going down uh, I think is is huge. It's it's a huge victory for the state. But um, but you worked on that issue. Can you tell us a little bit about you know why that's happening, how it's happening, and what it means for people? Absolutely. And look, we couldn't ACO couldn't do the work without yourself because it takes after you get a bill out of the committee, it takes seventy one votes from the House, right? And then you have to do it all over again in the Senate and get forty seven people, but you need twenty four, right? The majority out of forty seven. So all of us come up with ideas or we get ideas from different people and you put it in, you work it. But at the end of the day, honestly, it can happen without all of us working together. Mm-hmm. So in before um, Maryland created its own health exchange and before that was prior ACA, right? After the ACA, Maryland made the decision in 2011 to pass a bill to create a health exchange. Mm-hmm. We also were one of the states that made a decision early on to expand Medicaid in order to you know, cover more people. And currently we have about 1.4 million people on Medicaid in Maryland and more than 600,000 of them are children. Wow. So before the ACA, just to give you some perspective, we had about close to 746,000 people uninsured. Our population in Maryland is 6 million, right? Approximately. So almost 800,000 people were uninsured. We decided with the ACA, we're gonna create our own health exchange. The federal government gave you that you know, flexibility where you could mm-hmm. join federal exchange or join another state or create your own. We went at it by ourselves. We struggled a little at the, at the beginning, but it's working beautifully now. So we created our own health exchange. We expanded Medicaid. So we have been able, Eric, to reduce the number of uninsured in Maryland by more than 50%. That's great. Then what we have left, we have people that are in what is called the individual insurance market, Mm -hmm. which are people that are not able to buy their insurance through their employer, Mm -hmm. right? And they buy on and off the exchange and they were paying so much money. So in in 2017, the rates went up like 50%. So what we did was I put in a bill with your support and the support of others and Brian Feldman, who is my co-conspirator in the Senate, he's amazing. They basically requested permission from the federal government to create what is called a reinsurance program, right? So a reinsurance program is basically a program that allows the insurance companies to subsidize the cost of care for high risk individuals market, you know, that are in the, in the market. So people that are paying a lot that are very sick or paying a lot of money. So that, you know, curved the premium increase, right. From going up. Um, And so for the last three years, we've been able to do that. So how did we fund that program that we created? I put in another bill that said that the insurance, you know, companies had to contribute to this fund. Right. And what they contributed to it, we were able to get passed through funding through the federal government mm-hmm. because they approve our waiver 
So as a result, Maryland put in like 380 million mm -hmm. and the federal government gave us more than 800 million. So we have $1.2 billion for this reinsurance program right. until 2023. So we were, you know, one of the first people and many states are following what we did. That's right. how we were able to do it. So it works, you know, we still have to do more work um, right. to make sure because there's still people that are not covered, like the undocumented mm -hmm. people are not covered. And there's also people that are paying a lot of money with, you know, um, co-insurance, right? Mm -hmm. And deductibles, right? It used to be where if you made a lot of money, you 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 have great insurance. You didn't have to pay much of, of a deductible. Nowadays, is not that way. Right. However, the ACA, regardless of what anyone says, has helped because we have reduced our uninsured rate in Maryland. And for mm -hmm. the first time, Eric, people in the 23 counties in Baltimore City, many people have insurance that didn't mm -hmm. have it before, mm -hmm. and you know, which helps tremendously to make sure, especially with COVID, that people have access to care. Right, I mean, that's, I mean, that's fantastic. I mean, look, I, I'm one, and I think you are too, that believes that healthcare is a basic human right, and, and we right. keep it up so we get it to everyone, but cutting that in half, decreasing the, the cost of care, I mean, that's, it's it's an amazing kind of quiet success story that, that doesn't get talked about that much in Maryland politics, which, you know, is, is that's not cool, because this is amazing. But it's our work, right? Your work, my work, the, the leaders and, and our colleagues, right? Because we all come together. Mm -hmm. um, and Maryland early on created a commission that meets um, like three times a year, which was created to watch the ACA and follow it and to make recommendations to the General Assembly, um, mm -hmm. which I share with Brian Feldman. And a lot of these bills come from that work, came from that work and the recommendations, and we listen to experts from all over the US. You know, a lot of times you don't have to reinvent the wheels, right? You mm -hmm. learn from others and you try to improve it. Um, and we have great people uh, in ACO that are the, the staffers, um, you know, that are amazing human beings that are so mm -hmm. smart. So they do a lot of that work. Yeah, yeah, I will look, I mean, teamwork makes the dream work, right? It's, Absolutely. it's team sport in Annapolis, so. Yeah. So um, speaking of the ACA, you know, one of the big concerns we've been hearing a lot recently, particularly with the, the tragic passing of the notorious RBG, yeah. Justice Ginsburg, is concern about what the, the feds will do, what the Supreme Court will do with uh, the ACA. And in particular, um, if they might, in, in one of these cases that's been working its way up, essentially get rid of a lot of the protections of the ACA. And I know you've been working, I think also with Senator Feldman again, on, on trying to codify some of those protections in state law. Where are we in terms of that? Yeah, so Senator Feldman put the bill in the Senate and Shane Pendergrass, my chair in the House, mm -hmm. and we worked on it and on this, uh, the commission that I just described. Mm -hmm. So what we did was that we decided um, to codify into law the consumer protection provisions of the ACA that Maryland decided to adopt. For mm -hmm. example, keeping your child to the age of 26 on your health insurance, mm -hmm. pre-existing conditions, which is so important, right? Mm -hmm. um, so basically what we said is, look, we don't know what the Supreme Court is going to do. And they're supposed to uh, uh, have hearings on November 10th, is my understanding, right after the election, mm -hmm. right? And the Supreme Court will be deciding what happens. Um, so 
what we decided to do was to codify those provisions into Maryland law because we said that they were important for the 6 million people that live here. Right. And we have had those provisions and coverage, you know, since then, since we adopted them. So regardless of what the Supreme Court does, the General Assembly in its wisdom, in a humble way, made the decision to codify it into law so that if it's found unconstitutional and it all goes away, right? then Maryland will still be covered. And we did that this last session, which was wonderful. That's great. That's, and I'll tell you, it matters even more to me now that I've, you know, I, you know I, we were talking before we started that I just got married, but I have three new stepkids. So that, that keeping people on insurance till they're 26 is huge for us now. Yeah. For kids, you know? I believe it. I have a family of five, right? My husband and I and our three kids, our three kids are in college. And it's wonderful that, you know, when it comes to paying for the health insurance, I think it's 1500 bucks. Mm -hmm. We do a waiver because I have insurance and I have them on my policy. You save money, you know, mm -hmm. and it's, it's worth it. And I, I have peace of mind to know that they, God willing, will finish college, Eric, and that they have a few years to save a little money, mm -hmm. get themselves, you know, go out there, conquer the world and that they'll be covered, okay? Right. It's so right. important when you think about insurance that you have the young and the very sick and you have a pool that is mixed and then that is how we can keep these prices down, right? Right, right. As well, so it's important. Yeah, uh, that's fantastic. So one of, the, one of the issues I know you've been paying a lot of attention to uh, since the coronavirus pandemic hit is um, and I mean, you've been paying attention to the issue of health disparities before that, but with coronavirus in particular, we've seen these, these massive disparities in, in health outcomes, right? In terms of who catches coronavirus, how sick people yeah. get from coronavirus, who's able to get adequate treatment for coronavirus. So what are we learning about how the virus is impacting different communities in, in Maryland and across the country? So what we're learning is the same everywhere, right? In Maryland, what we have um, 23 counties in Baltimore City. What we're learning is that the counties, um, the counties with the largest number, right, the greatest number of coronavirus positive cases are the following. Prince George's County first mm -hmm. with more than 29,000 um, cases, right? And then you have, in addition to that, you have Montgomery County, then Baltimore County, Anne Arundel County, and Baltimore City. But we also learn that the CIPCO in the entire state, Eric, with the highest number of coronavirus positive cases is the CIPCO 20783. What does that tell you? Who lives there? So who lives there at the immigrant community, Latino community in Hyattsville, Langley Park, Adelphi area, right? Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. area, where, you know, Chillin Row, where Latinos live. So what does that say about the county that is the county with the greatest number, more than 63% of color in the entire state, plus the CIPCO with the Latino community, so the black and brown community. So it's because of how, it's not just access to healthcare, it is how they live. They live together in an apartment like I grew up you know, where you have nine, 10 people together. Right. You can social distance. I know family, Eric, there were nine, 10 people positive together. 
you know, in one home that we help feed. Um, it's also, uh, they take public transportation. Mm -hmm. They are essential workers. Mm -hmm. You know, it is the environment they live, not ma making minimum wage, right? Not a living wage. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. all those social determinants of health. Mm -hmm. You know, we are learning all of that, but we knew that before, right? But I mean, we, we have known this, but right. it right. is even worse now. And I think that when we come back in, in, in January, you know, we have to look at all those health disparities. Try to, for example, one of the bills I requested is a bill that would declare, you know, racism as a public health crisis in the state of Maryland. Mm. And it will look, it will have measurable goals mm -hmm. to for, uh, regarding the, you know, illnesses that we people of color suffer. For example, right. heart disease, diabetes, and then also, you know, another issue that we need to pay attention to is maternal mortality, the rate with Black mm -hmm. women in Maryland mm -hmm. is really bad. So we, I also um, going to put in a bill that will require implicit bias and cultural sensitivity training for healthcare providers, right. because we have to have that discussion. And as you know, you voted and supported the bill that I put in that required this past session implicit bias training for health providers when it comes to prenatal care, right? Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. now we need to expand that as well. You're going to see a lot of bills dealing with the data um, mm -hmm. collection and also the Office of Minority Health as well. Mm -hmm. You know, it's gonna cost money, right, but you right. either pay now, you pay later. And yeah, we must- and you, hear, you hear these horror stories of people showing up to an ER, right? And needing help and, and just- That's right. Doctors or nurses just not believing that they're sick, right? That's right. Yeah. That's right. They challenge you. And mm -hmm. it's, it's, you know, and I know as a Black Latina, I have experienced that myself, mm -hmm. okay? And then I think, my goodness, you know, I'm educated, right? I can read, I can speak. Although sometimes I make mistakes and my kids correct my English, but that's okay. Cause I tell them that's, I'm glad my money, you know, they, I, I invested well in them. Right. Um, <laughs> but you know, I, 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 there's people that do not speak the language or not as educated, mm -hmm. you know, and you're, you feel like you're bully, right? Or you don't know better to research and find out different options and seek a, second opinion, which is so important when it comes right. to healthcare. So you're comfortable in the decision that you make. Mm -hmm. And that, that's really sad. It really is. Yeah. Well, and look, I mean, I saw it when I was a teacher where, you know, there's a difference between somebody who's, you know, for example, familiar with the education system in the U.S. who understands that they can push back against the teacher and a lot of people who, who, you know, who maybe didn't graduate from school themselves, maybe haven't had interaction with teachers and they assume that anything a teacher tells them is true, right? And, and haven't, I mean, the, the, the difference in self-advocacy um, based on, you know, uh, immigration status, based on, you know, people's uh, socioeconomic status is tremendous, right? That's why that training is so important. That's a great bill. I'm glad you're doing that. Thank you. And I'm going to come to you to co-sponsor. Hey, anytime. <laughs> And I absolutely, I will. Because people respect right you. That's the thing. You know, when you get certain people on a bill and they go, oh, Eric, looky, I like him. <laughs> okay, I'll sign it. <laughs> well, I'm happy to help. <laughs> we're, we're, uh, we're running out of time. This has been a lot of fun, but I, I like to close 
and I kind of stole this. It's like a riff off of what they do on Elevate Maryland, you know, uh, Candace Dodson Reads and Tom Cole's podcast. Um, but I want to close with just some quick fun questions. So three questions about uh, Maryland and your favorite things. So first of all, what is your favorite place in Maryland? Second, what is your favorite Maryland food? And third, what is your favorite Maryland related pop culture item? That could be movies, music, book, whatever. Hmm. I'm going to fail that one. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I can tell you that my favorite um, place, I love a place where my family finds peace and the kids love it is Deep Creek Lake. Oh, yeah. And we love, the kids love, uh, we drive there on a Sunday morning, we'll leave like six in the morning, get there, you know, before 10, and we go, the kids get a, do a, they get on a pot of, you know, paddle boat and mm -hmm. canoeing, and I sit with a book, I like reading, uh, um, and, and listening to music, um, mm -hmm. I love music, it relaxes me. Mm -hmm. um i also like my favorite food is uh, crab cakes no surprise there yeah, yeah. Uh, i like it i love the old bay seasoning <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> i can put old bay on anything <laughs> that's right you know especially on chicken wings right, uh, right. no offense to the vegetarians out there <laughs> <laughs> you know it's it's maryland it's a beautiful place to live it's very diverse Mm -hmm. um, you know, very diverse. And my husband and I chose to live here and we are a, you know, um, interracial family. So for mm -hmm. us, it was imperative to be in a community. Then my kids, again, we go to the beginning of how we started this conversation. They can see people that look like them, right? Um, you know, which is so important as well, mm -hmm. I think. Um, um, so it's, it's, we love it here. It's a nice place. We also like St. Mary's. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice too. I, I I agree with you completely. I mean, the the diversity of the state, but I mean, in, in all sorts of ways, in, in terms of rural and urban, in terms of racial and ethnic diversity, language diversity, I mean, it, it, it makes it such a special place to live. So that's a great, well, and you make uh, the General Assembly special. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. Uh, I appreciate you coming on. It's lovely to see you and uh, have a great rest of your week, Jocelyn, okay? Thank you, Aaron, and congratulations again. And give my love to your wife, okay? Thank I you will. so much for everything you do for us. Sure, absolutely. Have a good night. Thank you for the courtesy. Bye-bye. Yeah, you too.